Hey guys, welcome to Creepjow, the podcast with a self-explanatory name. I'm your host, Alicia. If you're a frequent listener, thank you so much for your patience last week. I did miss an episode. If you're not a frequent listener, ignore what I just said. I'm perfectly on schedule. Today we are going to explore a witch, a haunting, and some folklore. A few weeks ago, we talked about Jeanette de Palma, a young girl whose disappearance was surrounded by conspiracies. One conspiracy involved witches, and that's kind of what got the ball rolling. I don't think I'm well-versed enough yet, nor do I have the time to do it justice, to cover the Salem witch trials. Very interesting stuff, horrible things happened, but a very large topic to cover. Instead, I went another route, opting for another witch story I heard about, the Bell Witch of Robertson County, Tennessee. Just so you don't get your hopes all the way up, this witch still isn't quite a witch, per se. We'll get into that. I got most of my information from bellwitch.org, as well as an article written by Alyssa Gravett on the Southern Weekend, and a page on prairieghosts.com. The majority of the legend will be coming from the Bell Witch website because Pat Fitzhugh compiled a condensed version. There's actually a lot to the story, but this version gives us a good overall feel of what went down. In 1804, John Bell moved from North Carolina to Tennessee with his family to settle on some new land. Over the next few years, Bell amassed more land to have a total of 328 acres. All was well and good, as good as it could be in the early 1800s, until just over a decade later. Now, depending on the story you read, this next part I'm going to talk about either came before or after the sounds. We're going to talk about it like it came before, because that's the way it's written on the Bell Witch website. So, in 1817, John experienced something odd. While out in their cornfield, John came across a strange-looking creature that he couldn't quite place. It is said that this creature had a body of a dog, but the head of a rabbit. It was just sitting there, watching him. Confused, probably frightened, and definitely more into the shoot-first, ask-questions-later, John began to shoot at the animal. The animal up and vanished, and John just shrugged it off like NBD. But it was a BD. Shortly after that, the family began experiencing the standard traits of a haunting, Predominantly strange sounds like knocking and scratching, most of which coming from outside of the house. Each night, it got worse. But, when John and his sons went out to investigate, they couldn't find a thing. And then it just progressed. Blankets were being pulled from the beds as the family slept. They were kicked, they were scratched, and they even had their hair pulled. Most of this happened to Elizabeth, or Betsy Bell, John's youngest daughter. She would be slapped repeatedly, leaving large welts and handprints on her face and body, pinched and stabbed with pins. Soon the entity found a voice. Much like the sounds, it started simple with faint whispering and what sounded like hymns. They couldn't quite understand what the voice was saying, but it sounded like a frail old lady. The voice then grew more boisterous, very clearly singing hymns, quoting scriptures, and even holding conversations. It was around this time that even though John wanted to keep what was happening a secret, he reached out to neighbor and friend James Johnston, Johnson spent the night at the Bell home with his wife, and, after being terrorized in the same fashion, he exclaimed, In the name of the Lord, who are you and what do you want? That's my awesome impression. Thank you, thank you. He received no fucking answer. Eventually, we did get an answer. Well, kinda. When asked again who it was and what it wanted, the entity replied with, I am a spirit. I was once very happy, but have been disturbed. It's another great impression, you're welcome. It gave a few explanations on who it was and why it was there, a popular one tying into the disturbance of an indigenous burial ground. 
The entity also said that it was old Kate Batts's witch. Kate Batts was a neighbor of the Bells that John Bell had a falling out with over some business deal. Some sites claim that the deal was over slaves, other sites state that it was over land, and other sites just leave it as vague as a business deal. Whatever it was, it created bad blood. Kate had apparently been quite an eccentric woman, and many people assumed her to be a witch. The site The Mountain Laurel has an interesting article regarding Kate that helped provide some information about who she possibly was. To really enforce the fear that Kate was a witch, she would beg women for pins. There was a superstition around that time about how giving a pin to someone allowed them to have control over you. When trying to find more information about Kate, such as her death, business deals, anything that was beyond this legend, I found a post on genealogy.com written by Carlene Murray, an alleged member of Kate's family tree. She stated that while the hauntings began in 1817, Kate didn't actually die until 1843. I'm no spirit, entity, demon, witch expert, but I don't actually find this too bizarre. While many people think that the haunting could have been Kate, if her death being years later is true, I don't think it'd be too weird for the entity to latch onto the persona of someone John Bell had issues with, whether they were alive or not. It sounds like whatever was haunting this family was hell-bent on tormenting them. Might as well use a person they're not particularly fond of, especially someone who people already think is a witch. Naturally, the news spread, and it became quite the story. It eventually reached then-Major General Andrew Jackson in Nashville, and he decided to go to the farm in 1819 to see exactly what was going on. Apparently, this is the same guy who would become the seventh president, I guess. Sorry, I'm Canadian. Three of Bell's eldest sons had fought under the general, so that probably helped pique his interest a bit more as well. Jackson gathered up a few of his men, and they headed to the farm. But as they approached the property, the wagon just stopped. The horses were physically unable to pull the wagon any further, despite pulling it all the way there. When it dawned on Jackson that this may be the work of the Bell Witch, a voice sounded out to all of them. It said that Jackson's entourage could continue on, and that it would be seeing them later that evening. Suddenly, the horses were able to pull the wagon again, and they carried on. Later that evening, one of Jackson's men was claiming to be a witch tamer. Because nothing was really manifesting like the entity had said, he was boasting that whatever evil spirit that was around was scared of the silver bullet he had in his pistol. Now, of course, bragging to an entity is always going to go over well. According to legend, the witch tamer began to suddenly flail his body frantically, all while screaming that he felt like he was being beaten and stuck with pins. He was quite literally booted out of the front door by an invisible foot, and the entity made itself known. It informed the men that Jackson had another quote-unquote fraud in his group, and that that person would meet the same fate as the witch tamer the next night. And then we're left with a mysterious cliffhanger. The men were pretty much begging the general to get the hell out of there. And I mean, I would be too if I saw my friend convulse and scream before getting flung out of a fucking house. Jackson originally wanted to stay, and the men reluctantly returned to their tents. However, the next morning, Jackson and his crew were spotted en route back to Nashville. So what exactly happened? Not a clue. Maybe the group managed to convince Jackson to bail, but I like to think something hella spooky happened that night. Something aimed more towards the general to make him change his mind so suddenly. We're going to jump back to Betsy now, the youngest daughter. She'd become engaged to a man named Joshua Gardner, and everyone was pretty happy about the engagement. Except the entity. For some reason, still unknown, 
the entity told Betsy over and over not to marry Joshua. These two could not do anything together without the entity pestering them, and finally, Betsy called off the engagement. Interestingly, Richard Powell, Betsy's former school teacher, had also expressed interest in marrying Betsy when she was older. Now, while he did express his disappointment about the engagement, he did wish the two to have a long and prosperous marriage. However, Powell was allegedly a student of the occult. Could he have connected with the entity in order to end the engagement? To wrap up this whole story, we're going back to John Bell again. His health had been declining since 1819. By the fall of 1820, he was confined to his house where he was subjected to near-constant torment from the entity. He passed away December 20th, 1820, and his family found a small vial with some strange liquid in it. John Bell Jr., being a good person, gave a bit of the liquid to a cat, and the cat immediately keeled over. The entity began to laugh and said, I gave old Jack a big dose of that last night, which fixed him. She no longer sounds like a frail old lady, she sounds like a shitty prospector. The entity eventually kind of just stopped coming around so much, as though John's death was its end goal. In April of the following year, the entity told Lucy, John's widow, that it would be back in seven years. In 1828, the entity returned and discussed things like the origin of life, Christianity, and even accurate predictions of the Civil War as well as other events. The entity left again after three weeks and vowed that it would return to the most direct descendant in 107 years. The closest person that could be found was a Dr. Charles Bailey Bell. He did write a book about the Bell Witch that was published in 1934, a year before he was supposed to be visited, but he never published a follow-up, so whether or not anything happened, we don't fucking know. Okay, that's the legend. There are a lot of theories about what went on, ranging from poltergeists to witches to complete fabrications. Even possibly an elaborate ruse to cover up the murder of John Bell. Brian Dunning of the podcast Skeptoid actually did an episode in 2008, and I think some of the findings are worth sharing for those of you looking for a more logical explanation. He looked at the published sources, and most of the publications draw on the earliest known source of a book called Authenticated History of the Bell Witch. This was written in 1894 by Martin Van Buren Ingram. 1894. That's about 73 years since the haunting had ended if we don't count the brief reappearance in 1828. Pretty much all published sources about the story draws on this book like a big game of telephone. Ingram apparently got all of his information from Richard Bell's diary, who would have been about six when the haunting was happening. We know children can perceive things differently, but it's not like Ingram was getting the information from a six-year-old's diary because Richard didn't actually write anything down until approximately 30 years later. Ingram says he received the diary from Richard's son, and he was given instruction to keep it secret until everyone in the immediate family had passed. Skeptoid points out that by the time this was published, everyone with first and second-hand knowledge of the events were probably dead. Of course, no one else has seen the diary, and it just blinked out of existence. Skeptoid does ask a question. Why would Richard Bell wait 30 years to write down such an incredible story? Because I'm a believer in the paranormal world, I can actually see someone waiting this long. Nowadays, people very rarely believe in shit like ghosts and witches. We want to apply logic to fucking everything. But I feel back then, early 1800s, 
that stuff was still a lot more believable and something to genuinely fear. If a fraction of the haunting is true, I could understand someone not wanting to relive it, especially if the entity was the cause of your father's death. Just because people believed in that stuff back then, though, doesn't mean they were as well-equipped as we are now understanding things like trauma, so I can see a sweep-it-under-the-rug type of mentality. I'm sure, much like now, there was also a stigma of not wanting to seem crazy. So Richard, having to live with a spirit or whatever that was literally tormenting his family for a few years, probably had a few hang-ups about sharing what went down. Sometimes the path to recovery is sharing your experiences, even if they involve ghosts. So yeah, I can see why Richard could have waited if the story is true. But Skeptoid's next question is one I agree with. Why did Alan, Richard's son, give away the diary to Ingram? It doesn't sound like money was involved, and I guess other than getting the story out there, Alan really had no reason to pass it on, especially since Ingram said he was told to wait until everyone had died. Not to mention, who the fuck is Ingram? Why does he get the diary? Although Ingram cites another published source that was never located, the only printed reference that came from before the book was from 1886. There are no court records, no church minutes, nothing. The only thing is the tiny paragraph from 1886 in Goodspeed's History of Tennessee. The paragraph doesn't even mention the death of John Bell, and it doesn't mention Andrew Jackson, which is kind of a big deal. You see, Andrew Jackson's whereabouts during this time of the haunting are well documented, and he apparently didn't visit Robertson County at that time. Even in his own writings, he doesn't mention the Bell Witch. You would think that someone who has logs of his whereabouts, as well as personally written documentations, would have at least made a nod to being in the area. Now, he could have easily left these details out, whether it be from embarrassment or shame, because it seemed like they had fled the area, but there would probably be some documentation written by someone other than Jackson. Anyway, that's about it for the Bell Witch. Well, about it for this episode. There are many versions of the legend, as well as a bunch of other events that allegedly took place. I also found some mentions about the Bell Witch Cave that I'm going to very briefly cover courtesy of Wikipedia. Some sites I read said that the cave had nothing to do with the story at all, but apparently the cave sits on the property that the Bell family used to own. It is thought that this cave may be where the entity eventually fled to when it left the family alone. It's kind of weird because the legend involving the entity and the cave actually says the entity helped a child. Betsy and some friends had gone exploring in the cave when they were young, and one of the boys got stuck. The boy felt hands wrap around his feet, and he was yanked out of the hole he had gotten stuck in. Then the entity began to lecture the children like a scolding adult. This is the same entity that liked stabbing people with pins and, you know, murdered John Bell. Fake, real, mean, or just likes to lecture, I'll leave that up to you. Also... I went into this episode with the notion that the Bell Witch partly inspired the Blair Witch Project. I was trying to find more information other than the throwaway line that was literally, this story inspired the Blair Witch Project, but I couldn't come up with much. In my snooping, however, I discovered the name Maul Dyer, apparently another alleged witch that the Blair Witch Project took inspiration from. Future episode, maybe? If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, you can contact me at creeptailpodcast at gmail.com, and of course, follow on Facebook and Instagram at creeptailpodcast. If you like what I do, want to hear more of what I do, and want me to do more of it, like, follow, subscribe, do whatever you do on whatever platform you're listening on. Thank you so much for tuning in. Keep creepy, I'll see you next time.
You see, Andrew Jackson's whereabouts during this time... Was Andrew Jackson in Hamilton? 